0: Chapter twenty second of Mildred Keith by Martha Finley This Librivox recording is in the public domain Chapter twenty second Hail independence, hail heaven's next best gift to that of life and an immortal soul Thompson There is strength deep bedded in our hearts of which we wreck, but little till the shafts of heaven have pierced its fragile dwelling must not earth be rent before her gems are found mrs hemans boom the loud voice of the cannon rent the air with sudden shock just as eager waiting eyes caught the first glimpse of the sun's bright disk peeping above the eastern horizon the sound broke suddenly in upon many a dream woke many a sleeper independence day the glorious fourth the nation's birthday shouted cyril giving dawn a kick then springing out of bed and hurrying on his clothes. "'Oh, oh, Fourth of July!' echoed Dawn, following suit. "'I'm so glad, cause now we can fire our crackers!' Their clatter and another shout roused Fan and Annis, who joined in the rejoicing, the latter calling loudly for Mother or Milly to come and dress her. "'No more hope of sleep,' yawned Mr. Keith in the next room. "'So we may as well all get up.' "'Yes,' returned his wife. "'I wish you would, and watch over the children.' See that they don't burn their fingers or set things on fire. Yes, Annis, Mother's coming. Breakfast was prepared amid the almost constant firing of crackers and childish shouts of exultation near at hand and the occasional booming of the more distant cannon. The young folks were full of gaiety and excitement, hurrahing, singing Hail Columbia, Yankee Doodle and Star-Spangled Banner. Rupert came in a little late to breakfast, from a stroll down town, and reported that a wonderfully large flagstaff had been planted in front of the courthouse, and that the stars and stripes were floating from its top. The Sunday schools were to unite and march in procession through the streets of the town, then separate, and each school betake itself to its own church, there to enjoy a little feast prepared by the parents and friends of the scholars. There had been a good deal of baking going on in Mrs. Keith's kitchen the day before, and shortly after breakfast a large basket was packed with delicacies and sent to the church. Then Mother and Mildred had their hands full for an hour or so dressing the children and themselves for the grand occasion. They made a goodly show as they issued from the gate and took their way toward the place of rendezvous, the girls all in white muslin and blue ribbons, the boys in their neat Sunday suits, and each with a flower or tiny nosegay in his buttonhole. The house had to be shut up, as Celestia Anne claimed the holiday, but was left in its usual neat and orderly condition by means of early rising and extra exertion on the part of the three older girls. Otherwise Mildred could not have been content to go, and delay was dangerous, as on account of the heat of the weather the procession was to move by nine o'clock. The whole town was in holiday attire and everywhere smiling faces were seen. A shower in the night had laid the dust without turning it to mud and the Sunday school celebration proved quite a success. The children enjoyed their treat of cakes, candies, and lemonade, then the little Keiths went home, tired enough to be glad to sit down and rest, while father, mother, and Milly told them stories of other fourths that they could remember. After dinner Mildred went to call on her friend Claudina, carrying with her another book for Effie Prescott. Dunowin had been returned in perfect condition and with a little note of thanks. Effie met Mildred with a pleased look, a cheerful greeting, and warm thanks for the book. "'I'm so glad to see you,' she said. "'And it was very kind in of you to come, for I'm owing you a call. I thought I should have paid it long ago, but there are so many days when I don't feel quite equal to the walk. "'You do walk out, then?' "'Oh, yes, every day when the weather's good. That is part of the cure. But I cannot walk fast or far. "'I hope you're improving.' "'Yes, I believe so, but very slowly.' I'm never confined to bed, but never able to do much, and the books are such a blessing. From that they fell into talk about books and authors, and were mutually pleased to find their tastes were similar as regarded literature, and that their religious views accorded. It was the beginning of a friendship which became a source of great enjoyment to both. Effie had learned to love Mrs. Keith. That drew Mildred toward her, and their common faith in Christ and love to him was a yet stronger bond of unison. They regretted that they had been so long comparative strangers, and Mildred felt rewarded for the kind thoughtfulness on her part which had at length brought them together. But leaving Effie to the perusal of the book, she walked on to Squire Chetwood's. mrs Chetwood and Claudina, in their deep mourning dress, sat quietly at home, with no heart to join in the mirth and jollity going on about them, yet calm and resigned. Ah! sighed the mother tears springing to her eyes, as the joyous shouts of children penetrated to their silent room. Our little darling would have been so gay and happy today, But why do I say that? I know she's far, far happier in that blessed land than she could ever possibly have been here. I know that, said Claudina, weeping, and I do rejoice in the thought of her blessedness, but, oh, the house is so dreary and desolate without her. Oh, Mildred, how rich you are with four sisters!" There was a knock at the street door, answered by the girl, and the next moment Miss Drybread walked into the parlor where the ladies were sitting. She was courteously received and invited to take a seat, which she did, drawing a deep sigh. "'Are you well, Miss Morris?" asked Mrs. Chetwood. "'Yes, I'm always well. I try and do right, and have no sick fancies. am never troubled with the vapors. I hope you're well?' "'As usual, thank you.' "'You've had a great affliction.' No response, for the torn hearts could scarce endure the rude touch. Her tone was cold and hard. "'I hope you're resigned,' she went on. "'You know we ought to be, especially considering that we deserve all our troubles and trials.' "'I trust we are,' said Mrs. Chetwood. "'We can rejoice in her happiness while we weep for ourselves.' "'Don't you think you made an idol of that child?' "'I think you did, and that is the reason why she was taken, for God won't allow idols.' "'We loved her very dearly,' sobbed the bereaved mother. "'But I do not think we made an idol of her, or ever indulged her to her hurt.' "'The heart is deceitful,' observed the schoolman with emphasis, "'and putting on mourning, and shedding so many tears, it "'doesn't look like submission and resignation. "'I don't see how a Christian can act so.' "'Wait till you are bereaved,' replied the mother, "'sobs almost choking her utterance.' "'And remember how Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, "'and that he never reproved the Jews "'for putting on sackcloth and ashes "'when mourning for their dead,' said Mildred, "'adding, in her uncontrollable indignation. "'I think you might be better at work, Miss Drybread, "'than wrenching the hearts of these bereaved ones "'whom Jesus loves, "'and in all whose afflictions he is afflicted.' "'I'm only doing my duty,' retorted the spinster. "'The Bible says we must reprove our brethren "'and not suffer sin upon them.' it says judge not that ye may not be judged they are the words of jesus in the sermon on the mount and if you turn to the passage and read on a little further you will see that the people who try to pull the mote out of a brother's eye while there is a beam in their own he calls hypocrites i can understand an insinuation as well as the next one said miss drybread rising in wrath and let me tell you miss that i consider you the most impertinent young person i have ever met "'Good afternoon, Mrs. and Miss Chetwood. "'I wish you joy of your friend,' and she swept from the room and the house "'before the astonished ladies could utter a word. "'What a disagreeable, self-righteous old hypocrite!' cried Mildred, "'her cheeks flushed, her eyes flashing. "'To think of her talking to you in that cold-hearted, cruel manner, "'Mrs. Chetwood and Claudina. "'But there I'm judging her. "'Oh, dear, oh, dear!' "'She finished with a burst of sobs clasping her arms about her friend, who was weeping bitterly. Mrs. Chetwood, too, was shedding tears, but presently wiped them away, saying, "'We will try to forgive her and forget her harsh words. I trust she is a well-meaning and, perhaps, truly good woman, though mistaken as to her duty and sadly wanting in tact.' On her way home Mildred passed Mr. Lightcaps. She usually avoided doing so by taking the other street— but today was too full of grief for her bereaved friends to care which way her steps were tending till they were arrested by mrs lightcap's voice speaking from her open door Why, if it ain't miss keith i hain't seen a sight of you this long time walk in won't you and sit a bit they've all run off somewheres and left me settin' here without a soul to speak to and i'm dreadful lonesome mildred could not well refuse the invitation so stepped in and took a seat her first feeling on becoming aware that Mrs. Lightcap was addressing her was one of embarrassment at the idea of facing the mother of her rejected suitor, but the next instant she concluded from the cordial manner of her neighbor that she must be entirely ignorant of the affair, which was really the case, go to bed having insisted upon Rhoda Jane keeping his secret. Mildred was not in a talking mood, but Mrs. Lightcap grew garrulous over the day's celebration, the heat of the weather, prophesying that, if it lasted long— coming as it did after a very rainy spring, there would be a great deal of sickness, branching off finally to her housework and garden, two inexhaustible themes with her. An occasional yes or no, or nod of acquiescence, was all that was necessary on the part of her listener, and these Mildred could supply without giving her undivided attention to the steady flow of empty talk. The firing of the cannon at short intervals had been kept up all day. Boom! it came now, causing Mrs. Lightcap to give a sudden start and break off in the middle of a sentence. "'Well, I declare,' she exclaimed, "'I can't get used to that they're firing, and I just wish they'd stop it, for some of gets hurt. It's a dreadful dangerous thing, gunpowder it is, and I guess there ain't never a fourth when there don't somebody get about half killed.' "'Or quite,' said Mildred, "'people will be so careless, and I suppose that even with the greatest care there must be some danger.' from the bursting of guns and other accidents that is, perhaps, impossible to guard against. Mildred sat very near the open door, Mrs. Lightcap farther within the room. "'Well, as I was saying,' began the latter, resuming the thread of discourse. Someone came running without, his heavy footsteps resounding on the sidewalk. It was a man. He paused before the door, looking pale and frightened, and beckoning to Mildred, said in a low, hurried tone, "'Just step this way a minute, miss. I want to speak to you.' Hardly comprehending, too much taken by surprise to even wonder what he could want, she hastily complied. "'She ought to be prepared, you know,' he went on, in the same breathless, agitated manner, drawing her further away from the door as he spoke. "'He's awfully hurt, almost killed, I believe, and I'm bringing him up the street now.' "'Who?' gasped Mildred. "'Her son Goat! Gun went off when he was ramming in the wadding, and shot the ramrod right through his hands. I guess they'll both have to come off.' Mildred staggered back sick and faint, with a dazed sort of feeling that she was somehow to blame. "'They're coming,' repeated the man hurriedly, pointing to a little crowd of men and boys moving slowly up the street, scarcely a square away. "'Can't you say something to her? Can't it break the shock a little, you know?' Mrs. Lightcap had stepped into the doorway, and was looking this way and that, curious to learn the cause of Mildred's sudden exit. "'Why, Jim Foote, is that you?' she exclaimed. "'What on earth are you wantin' with Miss Keith?' Then catching sight of the approaching crowd, "What's goin' on?" she asked. "Anything the matter?" Mildred sprang to her side and fairly pushing her back into the house, threw her arms about her, sobbing, "Oh, I'm so sorry for you. So sorry. Don't look. Not yet. He—he's living. But who—who's a livin'? Who's—who's hurt, girl? Tell me quick. Tain't none of mine, sure. Tain't my old man. Oh, what'll I do? What'll I do?" The trampling of many feet drew near, her husband rushed in, pale, breathless, trembling, and at sight of her burst out crying like a child. Then the wounded man was supported into the house, men and boys, and even women and girls, crowding in after, till in a moment the room was full. Rhoda Jane and the younger brothers and sisters were there, screaming and crying. Godebed was silent, bearing his agony with the heroism of a soldier, but as his mother caught sight of his ghastly face, his mangled hands, the blood upon his person, and the surgeon with his instruments, she uttered a wild shriek and fell back fainting. Her husband carried her into the kitchen, and some of the neighbor women gathered round with restoratives and whispered words of pity and condolence, while others hurried back and forth in quest of such articles as the surgeon called for. Rhoda Jane rushed out of the kitchen door and ran to the foot of the garden, screaming and wringing her hands. The younger ones following her. Mildred could not go away and leave the family in their dire distress. She caught Go to Bed's eye, and there was in it a dumb entreaty which she had neither power nor heart to resist. Silently she made her way to his side. The doctors were clearing the room of all who were not needed. They are going to take off my right hand, he said hoarsely. It's an awful thing. "'But if—if if you'll stand by me and let me look into your eyes, I can bear it.' She turned hers on the surgeon, Lucilla Grange's father. "'May I?' "'If you have the nerve, my dear child, it would be a great kindness to the poor fellow. There ought to be a woman near him, and it seems neither mother nor sister is equal to it.' "'I will stay,' she said, a great compassion filling her heart. "'I shall not look at what you are doing, but I will stand by and fan him.' she kept her word forgetting herself entirely thinking of him only as one suffering terrible agony and in need of her support she stood gazing into his eyes her heart going up in silent fervent prayer on his behalf chloroform and ether were not known in those days and the knife's cruel work must be borne without the blessed insensibility to pain that they can give had the magnetism of mildred's gaze alike effects i know not "'but something enabled Gotobed to pass through the terrible ordeal "'without a groan or a moan, almost without flinching. "'The right hand had to be taken off at the wrist. "'The left, though much mangled, the surgeon hoped to save, "'and did so ultimately. "'The amputation and the dressing of the wounds was over at last, "'and Mildred was turning away when a cup of tea was put into her hand "'with the words, spoken in a half-whisper, "'Give him this, he will take it from you.' She held it to his lips, and he drank. A plate was silently substituted for the cup, and she fed him like a child. Poor fellow! It would be long before he could feed himself again. Mildred set down the plate and stole quickly from the house. Her long, pent-up emotion must find vent. She went weeping home, her heart breaking with pity for the man she could not love, could not have married for the wealth of the world. Oh, why did he love her so? she had read it in his eyes that she was more to him than all the world beside and that he knew his was a hopeless passion she was glad to see that the sun was setting because she knew from the lateness of the hour that tea must be over at home and the little ones in bed for she dreaded their questionings and curious looks and loathed the thought of food her mother that best earthly friend who always understood her as by intuition met her at the door "'and clasped her in a tender loving embrace, "'and on that dear bosom the whole sad story was sobbed out. poor, poor fellow! "'My heart aches for him,' Mrs. Keith said, "'mingling her tears with Mildred's. "'And, my dear child, I am very glad you had the courage and firmness "'to give him the help you did. "'I pity him for his unfortunate attachment, "'at the same time that I, of course, "'could never, never be willing to see it returned. "'But your courage surprises me.' "'I doubt if I should be capable of the like myself,' she added, smiling through her tears. "'I know you would, mother dear,' returned the girl, gazing with loving admiration into her mother's eyes, for you are far braver and firmer than I. I should not have expected to be able to do it myself, but we never know what we can do till we are tried. I am sure our father helped me in answer to prayer, and according to his gracious promise, "'As thy days, so shall thy strength be.' she added in subdued tremulous tones i do not doubt it said mrs keefe for our sufficiency is of god throughout the whole town great sympathy was felt for the wounded young man people showed it in various ways by inquiries made of the doctor or at the door by calling in for a little friendly chat and sending delicacies to tempt his appetite which for a time failed under the pressure of pain enforced idleness—a great change for one who had been all his life a hard worker—and depression of spirits, for there were seasons when he was well-nigh overwhelmed at the thought of his maimed and helpless condition. Mrs. Keith went frequently to see and comfort him and his distressed mother, and was more successful in doing so than almost any one else, except Mildred, who occasionally accompanied her. They carried good to bed food for the mind as well as the body books which they read to him as he could not hold them himself and the other members of the family had little time or ability to entertain him in that way also they said many a kind encouraging word concerning the possibilities of future usefulness yet remaining to him i shall never be good for nothing no more he sighed mournfully one day looking down at his maimed arm and wounded hand can never swing my hammer or shoe a horse again I'll have to be a helpless burden on other folks, instead of taking care of father and mother when they get old, as so I used to think I should. "'I don't know that, go to bed,' Mrs. Keith answered cheerily. "'I think God has given you a good mind, and that you will gradually learn how to do a good deal with that left hand, write hold a book and turn the leaves, and so be able to educate yourself for usefulness in some new line. Perhaps do more for your parents and friends than you ever could have done with your hammer.' A light broke over his face at her words oh he said drawing a long breath if i thought that i could bear it i think you're bearing it bravely she said i'm trying my best he sighed but the lord only knows how hard it is especially when folks comes and tells you it's a judgment sent on you for your sins and who dares to tell you that she cried flushing with indignation who could be so heartlessly cruel Well, damaris was in t'other day "'She means well enough, I guess. "'She fetched something she'd cooked up for me, "'but she don't seem to understand a feller critter's feelings. "'She give me a long lecture, said I'd been dreadful proud of my strength "'and what a neat job I could make a shoe and a horse and the like, "'and so that the Lord took away my hand to punish me and fetch me down. "'Do you think twas that way, Miss Keith? "'I was thinking twas my own carelessness and not to be blamed on him at all.' "'It strikes me that you're very nearly right there.' she replied half smiling at the earnest simplicity with which he spoke he is very merciful and gracious full of tender pity and compassion for the creatures he has made especially those who are peculiarly his own because they have accepted of the salvation offered through christ jesus yet he did not always see fit to save them from the consequences as regards this life of their own follies and sins carelessness is a sin he said with a heavy sigh "'I didn't use to think so, but it's plain enough to me now. "'And do you think, Miss Keith, he feels kind of sorry for me, "'even though it my own fault? "'I'm sure of it, and that he will give you strength to bear your trouble "'if you will ask him, to bear it bravely and not let it spoil your life "'by robbing you of cheerfulness and hope, "'and the usefulness you may attain to by a determined manly struggle "'with your difficulties. "'There is a pleasure in overcoming difficulties.' she added with a bright warming smile that was like a ray of sunlight to his saddened heart a pleasure that the slothful know nothing of i'll try it he said with determination god helping me i will bless you miss keith for them words i'll not forget em end of chapter twenty second